Hi guys, welcome back to Chyla. We're on episode 36 with myself, Fazima. And your girl, Muna. And it's me, Labia. And Naman. And last but not least, today we have our lovely Layla, who is very well known for all her hyphens because she's a very, very, mashallah, well-rounded individual. So just a few of the things. Heraki American, startup co-founder, architect, and a mom. But I'll let you introduce yourself because we've had a couple conversations now about how we like to be introduced and how we don't always like it to be just about our profession. So how do you introduce yourself and what from all of these things or anything I haven't mentioned stands out to you? Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. And I am a podcast junkie. I like listen to podcasts all the time. So um, which is one of the reasons I started a podcast. But so I am Leila. I'm a startup founder, I would say my two most dominant identities are a startup co founder and a mom. There's another identity that whether or not I announce it always enters a room before me and it's that I'm a Muslim woman and I'm a Muslim woman who chooses to wear hijab. So it's there before I am always. <laughs> I'm an Iraqi American, as you noted. I'm one of six. I feel like coming from a big family has also played a big role in who I am. And as you'd noted by trade, I'm an architect, though I would not hire me to design or build. I design <laughs> buildings, but not to build them. They'd fall on your head. I've worked for like three months total as an architect. Um, but yeah, so I started a tech company about, I don't know, five, six years ago. We've raised about $23 million. We're like 80 people now, mashallah. So mashallah, that mashallah. is, mashallah. that's my Yeah, <laughs> alhamdulillah. It's, it's, it's wild. I mean, it never gets old, but it's audacious and it's fun. And I mean, we're in the thick of the journey right now. So great. Mm-hmm. So you've, you kind of started off strong with the main reason that us four found you really inspirational. And it is the fact that you are very obviously, very confidently and very not shy about the fact that you are a Muslim woman that wears hijab and that has come from Iraq doing your thing and doing it really well. So I guess we kind of wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about your journey from, you know, having um, immigrant parents and growing up in America from even when you're applying to schools, going through college and then even starting to think about your journey within the professional world, let alone making a whole startup and raising many millions mashallah yes all right get get ready for a ride because none of it i'm ready none of it <laughs> will make sense we're all ready. <laughs> none of it will make sense but at the end it will all make sense like i'm exactly okay. where i need to be so so i was born in southern california as i noted one of six as an Iraqi american and i grew up with a very 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 strong muslim lead mother and my dad is just supportive he's smart and supportive And so growing up, we would go to Iraq nearly like literally every year, right? We'd go every summer and uh, really was very in touch with that side of who I was as a child, Mm. um, which I I really deeply credit my mother for putting the effort in because lugging six kids across multiple continents, like it's just not easy. I I don't know how she did it. But anyway, so um, my mother also started an Islamic school by trade. She's an orthodontist and she opened an Islamic school in the mid nineties. I was, um, I don't know, nine or 10 years old when she started it. And so as a result from fourth grade until my senior year of high school, I was in Islamic school. And so what that meant was, you know, when nine 11 happened in all these critical years, I was kind of in a bubble, honestly, Mm -hmm. I was in a bubble, but a good bubble. Like I never had to question my identity. Everybody was just Muslim. It was fine. I was like a skateboarder. I was really, 
if if I would have gone to a public larger school, I would have been a dweeb. People would have stuffed me in lockers, no question about it. Oh no. <laughs> in my school, I was literally the coolest girl. There was like only 200 of us. I was super confident. Me and my friends just had no fears. We'd go to skate parks every day. But you know, when I'd go to the skate park or I played soccer for my city, that's when I would really feel like the other. Like I would leave and I'm like, this is a little uncomfortable. Like we would do belly button piercing checks in soccer. I know they'd make all the girls lift up their shirts to check for their belly button rings in soccer for the city. And I'm, I just like, they'd come to me and like, tell me to lift up my shirt. And I'm like, but, but I can't, but I, I can't do that. Right. And, <laughs> and the ref would be like, should we let her play? I'm like, this feels like this is before kind of everybody was woke and things like that were not okay. And like, but, but really like, I can't. And, you know, so they'd be like, well, maybe you really should just lift up your shirt. I'm like, but I can't. And so <laughs> it'd be, it'd be easier understand. if you just did it. Yeah. Like, I really don't want to lift up my shirt. And so um, I think we found like some agreement where I would only show the female coach at some point. But the point is, is like, yeah, when I leave the walls of my school and my mom's very beautifully built world for us, I was embarrassed. Mm. It was embarrassing. It was a kind of embarrassing identity. Right. Mm. And so by the time September 11th happened, I was maybe 15 years old or so, 15, 16. And that's when I became hyper conscious of my Muslim identity when we all did. And it's like, wait, you think I'm a, yeah. a what? Like I'm, I'm violent. Like, yeah. dude, I'm come on. Like I'm a skater. Like I'm not violent. This is so yeah. weird. I always said it to a man. I said, I really vividly remember. And I was quite young at the time when 9-11 <laughs> happened and when that shift happened. And um, my brother's name is Osama. So I was, I similarly went to an Islamic school for a while and I moved just as 9-11 happened. And then all of a sudden my brother went from being Osama, that is my brother, to Osama, that is the Bin Laden joke. And I was I was saying to him, I can't even imagine being American at that time because it would have been so much more concentrated and probably more hate-fueled, whereas in the UK, I think it was just cool to be mean, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a tough time. It was a tough time to be a teenager. But also, I think it played a really instrumental role in developing who I was, and I'll explain why. Like, So I was always deeply creative, And I always had a sense of adventure and fearlessness, but I think choosing to go against the grain and the way that I looked really built a very deep and important foundation that led everything else for me. And as I think about that, like by the time that I was playing soccer and they were asking to check my belly button ring, I was like, yeah, this is embarrassing, but I'm different. And it is what it is. And then Mm -hmm. I went to college Mm -hmm. and I finally wasn't in my mom's school. And I was like, do I want to do this like whole hijab thing? Like, is this who I want to be? And I questioned it twice, not once, but twice. And I almost took it off twice, not once, but twice. And both times I was like, no, like I, I want to do this. Like I'm committing myself to this identity. I realized that while the choice may be faith-based, it's charged and kind of what mm-hmm. it's saying is a whole lot more than what I believe. What it's saying is so many people, as soon as somebody wears hijab, has all these assumptions about me before I enter a room, Right. And I was highly aware of that. So I started thinking about ways where I can break down the narrative before I even spoke. So I really emphasized my skater identity. I got really into fashion back then. And I started thinking about different ways to express myself that would disarm people. And I really, truly, truly believe it It made me quite fearless. So in college, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. All three of my elder siblings are lawyers. My brother was like, no, you're not made for this life. You're too creative. (laughs) Do something else. And I, I decided on architecture school. And I'm really happy I did. I went to architecture school and I freaking loved it. Like it was finally, I could, I'm recognized by creativity. Like that's my thing. I'm just super creative. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. And I knew I wanted to go back to developing nations, be it Iraq or other places and build housing. 
And towards the end of my journey, I took a class called, um, it was like a Mars colonization studio or something. We're supposed to design for Mars. And it's not because I like, like Mars. Like I don't really care about Mars. I wasn't like one of those like space people growing up, you know? Yeah. But, but it was like easy. I'm like, dude, I can do all like my Zaha Hadid designs and I don't have to think about structure. Like perfect. Oh, that is, that is Mona's idol. She's <laughs> truly the biggest compliment off topic the biggest compliment my dad has ever given me and he's he compliments it's not like he's one of those dudes who doesn't but i'll never forget when he told me he's like you have it in you you could do that when he looked at zaha i'm like she's my dream yeah (laughs) i think the reason why she stands out for a lot of architect muslim girls is because she's a she's a iraqi and she's muslim and she does this amazing like out of this world when you look at it you're thinking no it's not buildable it's unimaginable and I've read her biography about how she's like, she struggled as an Iraqi architect and how architecture in itself is very yeah. male dominated. And to be a visibly woman with this much talent, it was kind of like, do we like her? Do we really want her? She's exceptional. Club? She's really, yeah. really, really exceptional. And really was like my driving force to go to architecture school. Mm. Truly. Yeah, she's amazing. Funny you say that because I read an article about you, Leila, and there was this thing that your father said to you that stood out for me where he, I think one of the advice that you said he gave you was like, find your passion. Yes. Be the best at it. And then I was like, yes, yes. I Honestly, it's one of the best things best pieces of advice my, my dad's a doctor like typically doctors are like be a doctor because you will fail if you're not a doctor my dad was like no be a doctor if you love it because medicine is hard that said mm-hmm. if you're going to choose something else be the best at it it's a competitive world and you can be successful at anything if you are the best so internalize that and run with it and that really was good advice and I mean he meant it right I remember one time I was on stage it was like a massive conference there like literally must have been there were thousands of people in the audience and I was on stage after Barbara Walters. Like it was, it was a one in once in a lifetime at that point in my life, once in a lifetime type of opportunity. And so I prepared and I got on stage and I was on this panel and afterwards I called my dad. I was like, Baba, what'd you think? He's like, you did great. But if you want to speak like train, is this what you want to do? And if it is mm, train, fair enough, just yeah. such good. And he's like, that said, if you don't want to speak, you did great. But if you want to learn the art of speaking, you should train. But you did great. So like he's very just, you know, the way that he thinks is very aligned with how I think. And actually, Mm. one of the reasons I started my podcast, Muslims Doing Things, is so I can learn to speak, believe it or not. I was just to be like linear and to the point and kind of stop with the ums and the you knows as fellow podcasters as you know how hard it is to <laughs> we drop this Edit, habit. editing editing you, magic is like next level that's what we rely on once you edit you will never say um again once you spend three hours deleting your own ums <laughs> we were just talking about this Muna was like i recognize like literally the waveform of your guys's ums yeah. and ahs she cut them out before she listens to them <laughs> you know <laughs> no they're, they're the worst they're the worst yeah <sighs> Yeah. So, so as I was saying, I was in architecture school. I loved it. Um, I took this Mars class and long story short, I did really well. Um, Not because I love Mars, but because I could design without (laughs) gravity. And I, uh, this critic came from NASA and he was like, you should apply to this internship at NASA. There's eight people who get in every year and they're aero astro students. And I was like, okay, but I'm not an aero astro student. So I applied and I got rejected like, duh. And they were like, thanks for applying. But you're not yeah. an aeroastro student like that. That's the Fair basic enough. ask in the application. <laughs> and I was like, okay, whatever. It didn't really hurt that bad. And a few weeks later, the person who ran the internship called me and said, two people dropped. 
you and the girl you applied with, we want to give you the spot because all bets are off. And we think it might be cool to have designers play this particular role. And I was like, all right, well, yes, I guess I work at NASA. So <laughs> it's insane how sometimes opportunities <laughs> really, come Really, truly, truly, like truly insane. And honestly, it was such a blessing because I ended up pushing the internship to a year. I loved it, but I didn't want to do it. Like I knew I wanted to do mm. post-conflict development. So there's this program at MIT, this master's mm-hmm. program I had my eye on. I was an okay college student. I did pretty well in my master's, but I was an okay college student. So like getting in would be a fight. And I knew that. And my, I live in California. I lived in California at the time. My sister lived in New York. I was flying to see her and I just took a bus, a $15 bus to Boston. I called a friend who lived there and said, I'm going to sleep on your couch. And I walked into the guy's office. I'll never forget. And I was like, hi, my name is Leila. I applied to your program. You should accept me. Gutsiest. Mm-hmm. Layla, that, that is very that confident. Gutsiest thing I've ever done. I was terrified on the inside, but this goes back to the hijab thing. Like I was terrified, but I didn't really care. Like, yeah. like mm-hmm. I don't really care. Like nothing really scares me. Right. And so I walk in, I'm like, you should mm-hmm. accept me. And he's like, come, come again. <laughs> really? <laughs> Security. So Right. I was like, no, no, no. Like you, you, I would be a game changer for your program. And fortunately before that, my brother helped me put together my application and that was a huge help. And if any of you follow me on TikTok, I give a lot of career advice on TikTok. And a lot of the foundation of it is the advice my brother gave me before I applied to grad school, which was like, your story has to be an arc. Any application has, there has to be a story arc. You can't just be like, I babysat. And then I played soccer. And then I um, worked at a pharmacy. Now I want to be a pharmacist. It's like, no, 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 like you got to give it a story, like be a Mm. pharmacist, but nobody's going to buy that. Like, why are you going to change the game for pharmacy? And so I walked in and I gave him my story and he said, okay, interesting. Let let me open your portfolio. Portfolios are very critical in architecture school. And he said, listen, your portfolio is cool. You have a great job at NASA. You're ruining your life. Don't do this. You have a great job at NASA. Go get a career in robotics. People work hard to get to where you are in life. And now you have it lined up. You're in the wrong place. Of course, I'm what? terrified on the inside. And I'm like, uh, no, you're wrong. I should be here. <laughs> Don't tell me what to And do. I know why. And I fought, I fought, I fought. And then I left and then I cried. I think I cried for like 30 minutes straight at a cafe called Flower. I love that you could hold hold yourself though. Because mm-hmm. I think m- my biggest thing Tears is that when streaming. I get frustrated, I will literally start just eye, like watering up in my eyes. And I'm like, you're so no. You, you can't you with five as, siblings as, tears as one of six you can't afford that no you need to you need to like learn how to hold your breath yeah. early you will get eaten Honestly, alive I'm, it's having siblings and it's what you mentioned earlier going back home regularly growing up really toughens you up yeah you know opinion. that that makes sense i think both of those things really help but I, i'll tell you mm. i was tough as nails then i left and i just cried my eyes out and that was okay i was like i blew it am i crazy why the heck am i in boston like what was i thinking and I bought, I remember I bought a lemon scone. They make very good lemon scones at Flower Cafe in Cambridge. And then I took my $15 bus back to New York. And, um, and then I was back in New York again, interestingly enough, when I got an email in front of Strand Bookstore that said, you got in. And I just looked at my phone and I just started crying. I'm like, well, again, crying. I don't even cry that much. That's probably the two, two of the <laughs> 10 times I've cried in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. And I, I cried and I was like, Wow. And later my advisor told me, he ended up being an advisor of mine. He said, listen, like, A, I needed to make sure you really wanted it and you fought for it. B, the same thing happened to me in grad school. And like, you know, a lot of people are fighting for this spot and you need to show me that you will push the needle for my program. And, and you did that. So I, I believed you. Um, 
Wow. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, really, like really, really instrumental. So a trick question, basically. total trick question. And my advice, and like honestly, I don't think I would have gotten in without it. It's just mm-hmm. too competitive, mm-hmm. you know. I needed that edge. So, anyways, that really truly. And so, you. like, I was like, "This is great." Now I'm an MIT student. Cool. I was at MIT. I got my dream job early. I started doing post conflict development in Iraq, and I sucked. Like, my designs were great, but it sucked. I was like, "Dude, it's so expensive to get me out there. I'm not better than anybody local." There's like a war-ish situation, at least post-conflict, like not that much can get done. What am I doing? Like, is this how I want to spend my life? Mm -hmm. Like, this should not be my Mm -hmm. job. This should be somebody else's job who can do a better job at it. So I had a real come to Jesus moment. And at the same time, (laughs) I'd taken a class at MIT that told me to change a billion lives of technology. That's where I met my co-founders, two of the three. The third was a mutual friend had introduced us in Cambridge. And... Funny enough, actually, my other co-founder, who's our CEO, we told him to meet us at Flower at 7.40 a.m., the same cafe. And I only put two and two together recently where I was like, oh, my gosh, the cafe where I cried my eyes out (laughs) is where we recruited Taz. And like, life, how the table literally just hit me recently. And I was like, how did this not? How was this? Anyway, incredible. So long story short, um, we started this company. Architecture, by the way like truly an incredible degree helps you for anything gives you thick skin if anybody in architecture school you probably know like you just get really good at taking Mm -hmm. feedback and we started this journey alhamdulillah have been able to build the product grow the customers raise money and i guess we have a business you know so yes you do (laughs) it's amazing and raise more than 20 you have a big business yeah Yeah, no it's wild it's why it's really it's a lot of fun it's really a lot of fun i think it's definitely an unconventional journey but it's an amazing (laughs) Mm -hmm. one there is one point that really stuck out for me and it's um the way that you were working really hard within architecture but what was it that really made you want to take that work in architecture back to Berlin? yeah i always Mm -hmm. as a result of going there so much as a child I was drawn to some of the inequities and thinking about ways to solve them. So, you know, going as a child, my mom's from a Kurdish village, like seeing kids my age selling cigarettes on the side of the road because they couldn't make a living living and supporting their family because they had parents who were ill or younger siblings who were maybe affected by depleted uranium as a result of the earlier war. Like those experiences will really shape you at a young age. So uh, I thought that maybe I can contribute to some of those problems. And I was heavily, heavily drawn to them. Mm -hmm. And in fact, a fact about why the startup is that when we first started, we actually were looking at technology that can also help Iraq in the developing world. And we ended up shifting. But when I was there with the UN, I was also like, I'd met my co-founders at WISE back then. We were researchers and I was getting data from the region to try to build products. But really just a sense of how can I help make this better? There was once... I'll, I'll never forget this one particular opportunity. We went back after the, the most recent war. There was a girl who was our neighbor's daughter. She's my age. And we were sitting in front of each other. We hadn't seen each other. It was the longest period up until that point that I hadn't gone back because of, of the, the, the most recent war. And I, I saw my neighbor's mm-hmm. daughter and she'd grown a few years and I'd grown a few years. And I asked, how are you? She said, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And I said, so how's school? She said, well, and she was so humiliated to tell me. She said, I had to leave school because... Um, the war like it was too unsafe and she was embarrassed to tell me and I was like I was embarrassed that I asked her wow. like what a fool like why would you just wow. be so privileged that you wouldn't even realize mm. that this is not something people in a war can do um and that was really a moment definitely one of the many moments that that shaped me and thought maybe I can help and so I, I've always felt a deep sense of connection 
as a result of the, the many, 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 mm-hmm. many months I spent there growing up. But you also did something to do with TEDx. I'll let you, oh, I'll yeah. let you talk about the details in Bordeaux, yeah. which is so awesome. That's really that was cool. I got to say that level. was cool. So in two, when I was at NASA, actually at the exact same time, I don't know how this guy got my number. He's a friend now. I have no idea how. <laughs> I have no idea. But this. <laughs> you know, the realization you're, making, you're like connecting your life retrospectively. Yeah. You're like, I don't know. Yeah, how to cry. I, I, no, I'm not a crier. How did he get this my dude number? dude called me, right? And I'd never met him before. And he's like, I want to start a TEDx conference in Baghdad. And that's what at the height of what I would say was like this whole idea of thought leadership in the public arena. And, you know, like the whole TED Talk thing was really big. And I was like, that sounds awesome, but crazy, but awesome. Like, I'm in. And so we literally just started doing it. It was like, man, that was pretty ahead of the times, too, because everything was online. And not unlike our friend um, amongst mm. my, my dear hosts, I was in America and they were in the Middle East. So I was the one up at like 4 a.m. all the time. So I, I know that life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, so, you know, Neman's it's, pain. It's, yeah. It's but, you know, pain. I was as you are, I was committed. So it was fine. And so uh, we, we started putting this conference together and I became like director of speakers. We kind of just named ourselves. It was like, you know, like, let's just get this. It really felt like a startup, actually. And I probably got a lot of my early startup experience then. So we all had very clear purviews and were able to put this conference together, which was really incredible just because of where Iraq was at the time. And a lot of the fear, fear in communication, fear in sharing thoughts, a lot of the f- trust between people there had eroded as a result of the insecurities and random car bombs and stuff that happens Mm. with with war and insecurity right Mm. so it was incredible to to provide a platform Mm -hmm. for folks to share their thoughts and ideas many of whom were local some of whom were part of the diaspora and actually it was so recognized that we got a national stamp after us which was really cool really cool yeah that was neat um so that was that was a cool experience and the conference itself happened within the first like few months I think at MIT so I couldn't go which was a bummer but I was like online at 4 a.m and uh, just praying that like there wouldn't be a bombing or anything like that like these were really tough times you know we were actually having this conversation with amongst ourselves um and it was something like we couldn't really decide Mm. even like our opinions were like teeter-tottering so we were talking about as sort of children of immigrants who grew up in whether it's so me Canada or US or the UK and everything we've gained in terms of professional skills and like um, everything we built here um, do we like we're different from our parents mm. as in like we have memories and like we, we we visited back home but it's not like we lived there for a long time like our parents but like do we have responsibility like what you were saying to go back home and I think you mentioned this right now as well that like people that are already there could do it better so where do we do we fit in or do we should we try to fit in there or should we not and should we just be our best where we are here and just like yeah. really accept our positions here that that's a really good point because as I think about it actually my to your to your, the earlier question about kind of the nostalgia with Iraq and being more removed I would say that that's directly correlated with also me becoming more American in some of the places where I've had to let go of the Iraqi experience. Mm-hmm. I really embrace the American experience. But that's also highly correlated to the politics, right? Like before Barack Obama, if you were Muslim, it was very clear that you were not welcome. It was just clear, right? There was like the Patriot Act. There were these wars. There was horrible media. And the perception wasn't as inviting. And I would say Obama kind of started to make the idea of being an other a bit more comfortable. And then with Donald Trump, there became a wall of allies, just so many allies who wanted to defend Muslims because they were treated a certain type of way by his by his 
um, just his whole team, everything related to him. <laughs> and, and right. Yeah. And now just I would everything. say like, I, I have very much embraced <laughs> my American identity. I think it's a really integral part of who I am. And that said, like, I, I want to help the issues here, right? Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter is the racial inequities are serious here. The lack of, let's say, opportunity or pipeline is serious. And that's something that maybe I can help with in terms of ensuring that people have mm-hmm. access or in, in like our, our workplace. I'm very proud to say this is very diverse. And that's certainly been a result of having a very diverse founding team. And we have a big issue in Los Angeles in specific where I am now with homelessness. So there are so many issues here. Um, and I think that I certainly feel responsible to contribute to those. I had a question just in terms of hearing your, your grappling with both the American and Muslim identity, because I feel like any young person growing up as a child of immigrants here has that like midlife, like not midlife crisis, but teenage crisis where it's like, I'm throughout I, life crisis, throughout <laughs> life crisis, where you're really trying to negotiate your American identity and your Muslim identity. And I found it really interesting when you were talking about even your hijab introducing you whenever you walk into a room and how, although it also spoke for you, it gave you the sense of confidence where it was like, anything is not, like, yeah. nothing's going to bother me at this point because you think you I'm, a, I'm a Muslim woman with hijab. <laughs> yeah, I'm that meme. Yeah, like it just, because for me, growing up as a as an American Muslim, I think I kind of went through that in in college where I was trying to counter everything. I like went to a predominantly white university and I was trying to constantly counter Um, what people thought of me. So in chemistry class with 300 white kids, I would always speak really loud just to make sure that people knew that I could speak English and stuff. But at some point, it starts to become a form of resentment too. So how do you, how do you negotiate what parts of your identity um, are informed by your Muslim American identity? And what parts of you are just Layla? Like you, you like skateboarding, you have all of these interests, not necessarily because you're trying to counter what the typical image of what a Muslim is. And I think one of the things that like I remember this so vividly because as an American Muslim it really changed like how I spoke about Muslims is when I saw the Mipsters video like I think I was I don't remember what age I was but it was just so cool yeah it was just so cool to see like that's 2012 yeah it was just I think I was in college but it was just so cool to see like Muslims like skateboarding and doing anything and like really changing I think that was a very pivotal moment for American Muslims where it really changed the conversation there wasn't a stereotype of what mm-hmm. a Muslim um, a Muslim American hijabi wearing woman was and so how like how did you negotiate that and how did you allow yourself to have your own identity that is not necessarily const- constantly countering what other people that's a really you? really really good question and yeah it's it's wild that Mipsters moment it was just wild. The whole thing was wild. I still have every article bookmarked. And it's just crazy how many people in so many countries wrote about it. And at the end of the day, the point mm-hmm. of the video would just be like, we're normal and pretty cool. Like, you know, and, that, and I'm <laughs> literally that, that's it. And, and now nobody would even bat an eye if it were to come out exactly. today. It would just be another just cool Instagram reel or something, which yep. is like, that's not a bad thing, yeah. right? That wouldn't offend me. <laughs> that's like great, right? We, we've, mm-hmm. we've gotten at least yeah. to level one out of like 20. So One thing I learned in the Mipsters video was for a while, I went from being unapologetic Leila in her own ecosystem to unapologetic Leila in the public realm, where I spent a ton of time writing about, speaking about, defending and defining my Islamic identity. And what people don't realize, whether you're Muslim, whether you're 
black, whatever, whatever type of identity, obviously it could be Muslim and black, as you know, but I'm saying any identity that's a minority for you, when you have to spend a lot of time explaining and justifying and defending, it's exactly that. It's time. And that was a really big realization at that point was, okay, I can become like, I guess what they would call it now, like there was very much a route for me to become like an influencer, right? Where I just talked about my identity 24 seven and that was mm. it. And now I'd have a certain amount of followers and I'd get brand deals. And that's how my career would have shifted and formed. Right. And I would have been like, I am the Muslim to represent bleh, because Muslims wear blue. Right. And, and that, that's not the route that I took, but I did have a very clear realization at that point that if that was going to be the route that I took, it would be a full-time job. And Using being the person who defends, mm. speaks to, and talks about your identity is a full time job and it's in the place of something else. So, once Mipsters was okay, like a lot of we'd had a lot of the funds on the articles, and I really wanted to focus on wise, I started declining a lot of things and really focusing on wise. And only this year, honestly, with quarantine, did I start saying yes to more things. I used to just say no to everything because people always wanted to talk about my identity. Mm. And I, I think I like made a threshold. I was like, okay, I want to do one thing that I'm super, super proud of publicly a year. More than that, it's a maybe. But I'll, I'll say no to pretty much everything else. And I, so I, I do like a cool article here and there. And I literally think I tracked one, one a year. It's pretty, pretty neat. Um, and then I do some things with my spare time. Like I was on the, I am on the advisory board for The Secret Life of Muslims. We were Emmy nominated, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I got a body nomination. So yeah. this is all to say that with Mipsters, I had the realization that if I wanted to only talk about my identity, it could be really exhausting. And I needed to focus on building wise. So every now and then I talk about my identity, but I had to make sure it didn't consume me. One of the most in- exhausting parts about it was when the community internalized the feedback. Like I cannot tell you how many times I had people within the community being like, well, why do you even wear hijab? You wear it wrong. And I'm like, to who? Like Those are the worst. I would literally rather someone judge me for, for being anything than a Muslim judging me for yeah, being a Muslim. It's, it's wild. So that realization <laughs> that, that outside of the community, people would think things inside of the community, there might be feedback. I think that was the moment. And we certainly heard it with Mipsters, right? Like there was people had a lot to say and that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a ton of very, very public external representation then so everybody wanted the video to only represent themselves we've moved past that but I understand that sentiment but um what I would say is realizing that if I wanted to do it I would have to do it right and really commit myself to kind of the identity was that that was a decision and and the decision I made was was no right like yes it would kind of always enter in a room before me I would talk about it every now and then I'm sure in every interview that had nothing to do with Islam it would come up and that's fine I'm okay with that but um only recently actually I had this other realization where we just raised a round of funding recently and in the previous rounds of funding I would like put on a hat and look a little obscure and I was pregnant for one of them so I'd kind of cover my belly and walk in and for this round I just wore like my regular old hijab and I had a big old eight-month belly for like one of my final investor meetings um and our, our ceo was raising money so i came and joined and i was just like me like eh, it is what it is like here i am welcome y'all and that was a really big moment for me because i was like okay like i'm not spending time pretending i'm somebody else but i'm also not spending time explaining who i am i just am and i'm good at tech and people recognize it at that moment so it, it was a cool moment but that certainly is it's it's a it's a dialogue in my head constantly, you know, how much do I want to spend? 
how much time do I want to spend emphasizing the like Muslims are normal part? And how much time do I want to spend building a really big company? And, and the choice has yeah. been, um, I have to build a really big company. I've made promises. It's yeah. what I want to do, you know? <laughs> no, I think that's like, that's, that's really incredible because that's the thing. It's like, obviously we, it's like what you said, it is time at the end of it. And if, if we want to sacrifice the rest of our potential to then kind of highlight this, that's fine as well. But we still have that, that rest of the potential that we need time to act upon. And it's a lot of like, for me, I think what stands out is really Muslims who do actually like that is that's what stands out in the end. Yeah, you can talk about stuff. You can talk about your identity, all that. Yeah. stuff. But what really sort of like hits home is when you see somebody just it doesn't they're not talking about it, whether or not they're wearing a scarf, whatever they're Muslim, they're just being them. Mm-hmm. And they're just doing whatever they're good at and doing whether it's whatever it is, whatever they're good at. And they don't yeah. even have to say anything, which is what like, yeah. recently now that's what I'm saying with the midterm video right now it almost seems like oh but that's completely like that's normal that's like something <laughs> like you would just scroll past and because now on tiktok you can be like i'm scrolling i see a hijabi skateboarding a hijabi painting a book but it has nothing to do with her hijab it's not like she's doing a tutorial it's nothing about that it's just her being and i think that's mm-hmm. really that i'm like it's yeah. it's nice to see that we're at least heading into that direction it's totally. like the only thing gives us hope really no it's, it's a moment it absolutely is just and also like even as as we look at the community and the way that it's developing externally our first tranche has been beauty right exactly yeah. like i'm muslim but i'm super pretty i know how to put really yeah. cool clothes yeah. on and i'm not going to rely on hollywood i'm going to get instagram famous and that's kind of been like our first tranche and and i only my lens is only through women men a they have just less less of I, what I would call the burden if I can choose another yeah it's a burden less of the burden yeah. right and so mm-hmm. yeah so I think it's fair first we're like okay look all these people follow these Muslim influencers and we've at least been accepted as like a beautiful population so we're like a little bit more normal <laughs> and now I've and then we have athletes right we have some standouts along the way there's yep. Ibtihaj there's there's the the girl who boxes the girl who figure stays there's like these these people who are kind of coming out who emerges as yep. the stellar really superstars yep. and and we're starting to see it in other places my friend Esma Esma Khalid she was with NPR during the whole campaign the presidential campaign this time and last time and now she's covering the White House for NPR so people are starting to be recognized within the Muslim female space for their brains and that's tranche too and that's not to say that the influencers aren't smart they certainly are but that's not what let them into the door it was yep, the relatability. Yeah. It's like, oh, she's relatable. Yeah. She wears her job. Oh, they're, they're kind of normal. And it was a very, very important part of the journey progression. Yep. Um, or, you know, she's like brown. She's Pakistani. Like, she's kind of cool. She has a kid. The kid wakes up at night. So it is mine. Like, follow that. That's cool. So we kind of, as a community, <laughs> as women, we took control of tranche one, but still removing the distractions to reach tranche two, which is mm. the as we just noted, the mental distractions of defending our identity, as well as just the realization that like we can be good at things, we are going to be good at things, and we are going to claw for that recognition. I'm Ibtihaj. I'm going to fight for that Olympic spot. And she fought. She fought. I'm sure that, you know, Esma, my friend, I'm sure it was very hard covering Trump twice on the campaign trail in her job. But she fought and she nailed it, <laughs> right? God bless her. So. It's interesting to see even in like the most mundane of situations how even we see Muslim women doing things. Because when I first joined TikTok, and now I am unfortunately addicted, 
I would see Muslim women would come onto my feed and obviously TikTok has got this beautiful thing where the algorithm is very random. And so initially I was thinking, oh, I'm seeing this hijabi girl because it TikTok knows. And then I'd look through the comments and it would be people from everywhere. So I'm like, why did I approach this awesome video with the idea that it was made just for me? And then the more I was on TikTok, the more it was just like, these are just random people doing random yeah. things and random people are enjoying it. And I was like, yeah, I can't random. wait for all of life to be yeah. like this. And actually, yeah. it is becoming more, yeah, it is actually becoming more like that. In your TikTok videos about interviews and stuff. And honestly, now I, I every conversation, it's so weird. Even if I'm not in an interview, I'll be having a conversation <laughs> and I'm like, I should, have said that. I should say it like <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and it was just so nice to see that actually people were seeing you as someone who was knowledgeable and who was someone that could help them. And not just as like, mm. a, this is a Muslim hijabi woman who is giving Muslim hijabi advice she's giving everybody advice because she's being a boss thank you i appreciate that and that's really something i i I think that it's so important for our community to be recognized in that way and that's a belief my mom deeply deeply holds is like you have to once you're once you're respected academically like that's it right like tell tell me any person who would reject a muslim doctor who walked in like people know we're, we're good at medicine Right. Like, so now we, we just have to conquer the other spaces. Mm. But, but a big a big part of that is access. My journey without MIT, there's no mm-hmm. way I would have had the mentorship or access to meet my co-founders, raise money. Um, and for every space, whether it's writing a book or, or all these other things without access, it will either take you longer or you just will never figure it out. And typically access is easier when your community has higher proliferation of these things. Our community is building many people in these places and is starting to proliferate, but we're not there. So really my hill to die on lately has been access. How did people get there and how can they help the next generation? And you're so notably open about how you got to places. And I know some people are like, why are you telling everyone how much money you've raised? That's going to give you a hand. And mashallah, we don't, we don't want to be the place where you do get it. But you are so open about how you got to where you are. And, you, and you're always providing, like I said, advice on TikTok and whatnot. I think that's amazing. And I think the more that we do that, even within our small circles. So I don't know, for example, as a pharmacist, seeing the young pharmacy mm-hmm. students and whatnot being like, yeah. actually, this is how I got this job. And this is how. I got this and just building each other up so even just being in the startup space like forget being a Muslim woman right just being a not white male in the startup (laughs) space is like there's not any like there's not any like brown guys there's not any like that's just how Silicon Valley kind of looks like obviously you have the developers that are like Indian or like from another sort of background but the CEOs of all these companies are always white men so being in sort of like that leadership position is like incredible so the question is like why aren't there more people that look like us in those positions and in terms of mentoring the next next generation stuff like this what would you say to even be like this is the step that you could take or this is like something that you should look at because I feel like we are really stuck in these careers that we kind of historically know whether it's a doctor engineer lawyer right that's where we kind of end and we've kind of like as a society, we've kind of like suppressed that creative aspect where we're like, okay, no, go start a business, go do like you have an idea, um, f- go for funding, try to get make a startup, like things like this are less sort of encouraged, I would say, even with sort of within families or even within our community. So what would you say to, to kind of like battle that? So many good points. I can't tell you why 
women like us aren't in those positions, but I can tell you why WISE does have women like that in those positions. And that's because I'm there. And you can replace me with any of you, right? I'm not really, but... In theory, <laughs> I feel like that's why. Oh, come on, and so, <laughs> so like as as a Muslim, I, I had a moment that really I will it will just stick with me forever and ever. Where we we have two hijabi developers now, which is wild. I I had nothing to do with the interviewing, and they just are they, they just are the developers, and they're good, and they wear hijab. Yeah. And one of them, like now in the pandemic, people are always like, "Hey, can we just carve out fifteen minutes on Zoom? Would love to meet you." And they do this across the company to just meet people, which makes sense. So she got me on the phone and said, hi, da, 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 I'm so-and-so. This is what I do. And in our conversation, she said, you know, one thing that happened at WISE that's never happened in my career before was I joined the company and I hit the ground running. I didn't have to tell people who I was. I didn't feel like it. Maybe sometimes I don't, but I feel like I do. And why I wear hijab and where I come from and what I do. Like those questions mm-hmm. for anybody who may be wondering are well answered. Like, you know, so I didn't have any of that responsibility. And I'll never forget her sharing that with me and the depth of that sentiment and how much it resonated with me because I've been there. Like I've I've been the first hijabi in a program. I've been the only one in a in an area. And again, like I don't think this is a problem that only hijabis face. I can only speak to my experience as a hijabi because without hijab, I'm a white passing Arab, right? Like I don't think that I would necessarily have some of the struggles that I, I had faced as a result of identifying with the Muslim community so so publicly and visibly. Yeah. And so I think that when women are in leadership, you do see more women. When other minority communities are in leadership, you do, do see more minorities. Our CEO is Black. We have tons of Black employees. Like, it, we just do. And, uh, you know, they come through, sometimes they come through his network, sometimes they don't. So what I do know is if you do have the privilege of starting something you likely will and you are a minority you likely will not be afraid of minorities and the door will be open for them and in terms of taking initiative and doing things find people who have inspired you if you are young then you definitely have time on your side which is a huge advantage and reach out to them and don't say hey like can you mentor me be like hey how can i become you because people love talking about themselves (laughs) Like I researched you, find mm-hmm. one quote. I heard that you said da da da, and I really love your journey. I would love to emulate it. What would you have done differently? Can you give me fifteen minutes to walk me through that? And pe- people will do it. They really will. And you know, once you hear about their journey, like if you were to ask me that question, and you said I wanted to start a company and I wanted to raise money, or if I would, I would give different advice for that versus I want to work in an early stage company. Very different advice. But if you were to tell me that, I would say, okay, like, you know, you have to be in a particular position. Honestly, the more privilege you have academically, the easier it's going to be to raise money. It's not it's not impossible otherwise. So if you have, then do this. If you haven't, find people who do have that under their belt because it'll be easier at this the way that it, things are now or somebody who sold the company before because investors will invest in you. And I, I kind of have that that those tidbits. Um, whereas the other advice, if, if somebody said I wanted to join a startup now, and again, to your earlier point, like, Sometimes the walls can feel high. It can feel like there's not a lot of diversity. But what people don't realize is for software companies, the goal of raising money is typically to hire people. That is one of the largest expenses. So if you follow tech blogs and you find that somebody's raised money, reach out to every single one. Reach out to 200 companies if you have to, whatever it takes. Reach out to the founders of every single company that's raised less than like $20 million because chances are they don't have a real HR and the founders are heavily involved with hiring. And pitch yourself and look for some place where they don't have people. 
And if you really can afford it, say you'll be an intern for hire because interns have a far, far, far lower bar to entry than non-interns. And find your way in by finding out what they need. Hiring is really hard. People don't realize. Anytime I take an interview, I pray that the person's good. And when they're not good, I'm like, great. I got to do this again. Like, I I don't want to spend time interviewing. I want this role to be filled so I can go do other things. Yeah. No, I just think it's like your story is so like full as as much as you told us, it's so full circle because of because I think having that founder mindset and like just looking for solutions is exactly what you were kind of um, in terms of what you want to do in um, Baghdad. But then now you're doing it here and it's the same sort of like finding solutions for the problems around you. Like, that's it. Like I love that. I've never thought that, about it. No, I think that's so beautiful. many realizations on Chai Lab. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're happy to this help is what, this is what happens on we learn new things about we each start other. a topic and all of a sudden all of us have, have to come back you know every every milestone Please join us <laughs> but i think it would be wrong for us to kind of highlight everything that you've done without also highlighting that you are a mother which is in itself a full-time job um and not only that but you also gave birth during covid in the midst of a pandemic just just in case you guys another another reason to (laughs) that was wild thank you guys yeah that that was great almost a year ago wow subhanallah inshallah they're very healthy and you're healthy and you're all doing well and thank you so much for giving us your time i think we've we were already fangirling as um labia Mm -hmm. said before and now even more so and just so much respect for everything you've done consciously and subconsciously um, for all the women like us. So thank you so much for <laughs> joining Child Up. And hopefully you will come that back. That really means even more realization. Thank you guys so much for inviting me to your podcast. As I noted, like since I started my podcast, I know the commitment it takes. Like, you know, just I appreciate the work and the invitation and uh, the honor of your time because truly any time I take from anybody is yeah. an honor. So thank you. Thank you. By the way, your podcast is doing amazing. Thank I've you. listened to a couple of episodes. Thank and I'm like, you. Thank you. I'm going to continue listening. But um, if anybody wants to follow Layla, we're going to, first of all, share your Instagram. And also your podcast is called Muslims Doing Things. Go give it a follow. Give it a Thank listen, you. Yes, please it's listen. Really, and also really, really what I did good. when you guys reached out to me is I immediately went and rated and reviewed. So everybody who's listening, swipe up, rate and review this podcast <laughs> and then go rate and review mine. It Yay. goes a very long way. So for this hour that we gave you, that's all that we ask. <laughs> Layla told you to so now you basically have to <laughs> yeah we'll link down where you can find Layla and all the amazing things that she's doing because she's also on TikTok and I really really recommend that you um, check out her videos I know we have a couple of younger followers so if you're applying to like uni or you're applying to jobs they're honestly so great and you can find us at, at Chilab on Instagram and now you can find us at chilab.com as well but until next time, bye Allah guys. Hafiz. Adios. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. That was a blast. Thanks, Leila. <laughs>